We're back here on the middle seats, 30 days of Star Wars. We have reached the middle chapter of the original trilogy, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back from 1980. I'm Andrew Oje. I'm joined, as per usual, by Nate Lungarini and by Jake Hensler. Guys, this is going to be a fun one to talk about because I think, given what I know about you guys, this is our probably our consensus favorite Star Wars movie, right? For me, definitely. Yeah, if not top two. If not top two, yeah. There, I mean, so picture 1977. Star Wars is such a massive hit. You have the pressure of following it up with Empire Strikes Back three years later. And I bet marketing was way different back then. I bet there was obviously no internet speculation or anything like that. There was obviously no trailers leaking online. Stuff like that didn't exist. So people probably flying in there blind into Empire Strikes Back to see the next chapter of this Star Wars saga. Basically, I'm going to try to boil down the plot. You guys know the plot of Empire Strikes Back, basically. It's... Our characters get spread in different directions. Luke goes to train with Yoda and Dagobah and Leia, Han, Chewie, C-3PO all hang out together, running away from the Empire of the Millennium Falcon. That's basically their their entirety of their plot in this movie. It eventually builds to one of the biggest twists of all time. I Again, you guys know the reputation of Empire Strikes Back. It's one of the most revered classics of all time. But the question is, does it hold up after seeing it for probably the 56th, 57th time in some of our cases here? Uh, Nate, as a person who considers it their favorite and probably one of your favorite movies of all time, too, what was this recent viewing experience like? Oh, a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to gush about this one. I, I think all the characters get into their molds here. Uh, Luke feels a lot more of a character, a lot less whiny than he does in the original. Han and Leia's banter is iconic, and I think so many movies have looked at them as inspiration for a good, natural love story that has just the whole playfulness, the snarky remarks, the whole nine yards. And on character strength alone, with our main three people, uh, they all soar in this movie and you top that off with some of the coolest action sequences of all time that still hold up today awesome awesome movie awesome movie i really really enjoy empire it's the rare movie that's two hours but feels like it's 35 minutes there's not a single scene i would cut out of this movie it just all flows so well and you're absolutely right about the characters coming into their mold this is very much a more emotional darker more thorough examination of the Star Wars franchise as opposed to the original film, which is kind of simple but still great. This is where we get these great character arcs and we see them start to develop. It's interesting because Star Wars, the originals, almost exist on its own, and then it's like Empire and Jedi are kind of companion pieces. Mm, yes, it. I forgot how much of a uh, cliffhanger ending it is. Uh, there's, there's so much that isn't revealed yet and so many uh chess pieces that are just kind of scattered on the board uh especially with han's story obviously like he's frozen in carbonite at the end of this movie and everyone else is like what's luke gonna do is he gonna go back and train is he gonna just go straight to darth vader again and get hopefully not get his butt handed to him there's there's a whole lot of questions 
Uh, and this movie leaves you with lots of them. But yeah, not not to mention there's a reveal that there is another in the force. And while I'm sure a lot of people could have speculated Leia, maybe at the time of 1980, some thought Han, maybe Vader was referencing Yoda. Like we're not 100 mm-hmm. percent sure. But and Yoda's Yoda's the one to say that line. And he's so cryptic throughout the rest of his speak that I bet you a lot of people just didn't even pick up on that line and were just like, oh, well, also Yoda saying yeah, Yoda things that definitely with that, because. I mean, it's the last thing we hear him say in the movie, but it's not treated with the pomp and circumstance that you might expect. But also remember at the end of the movie, like very heavily imply it's Leia when she like, you know, feels where Luke is and tells him to go back and go mm. get him. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in reference to the cliffhanger ending. Yeah. I mean, I, I had seen this movie a few years ago, but for God, God knows why. This is probably at least the third or fourth time, maybe even fifth time that I've seen it. I don't know, eh, fifth probably tops, but for whatever reason, I might have enjoyed it the most this time or appreciated it the most this time because I never like I always really liked it, but I never had it like, you know, like the like you guys both consider one of the best movies ever, as is our friend Dylan. And I never quite got there. But this time around, I was like, I'm really for whatever reason that I didn't before. I'm getting it now. This movie's awesome. It just from start to finish, even for 1980, from writing, directing, the action sequences, it just kicks so much ass consistently. And they throw you right into this, the Battle of Hoth, which is really cool. And then all of a sudden, they're just on the run for a while. And it really centers on those three characters and just overcoming obstacle after obstacle on their adventures and missions. And, you know, they scatter all kinds of twists and turns. And it's just really, really spectacular writing that I was not, I guess I just kind of forgot the details of it because I was very, very impressed this time around. Something I noticed this time, especially watching it, Nate, you're absolutely right that the action sequences still hold up. And Jake, you're absolutely right that the writing is sharp. And the two of them work together in like beautiful harmony, like the way that the sequences are staged and stuff. Like, for example, the opening battle on Hoth with the AT-ATs or do we call them at ATATs? What do you guys go with? You know the 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 old movie with the, the with the big walkie thingies. Yeah, the big walkie thingies, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, Tom Holland so greatly put it in Captain America: Civil War. Um, but you know, it's it's a matter of you know they're outgunned. The Empire is outgunning them the entire movie, basically. But the way that they bring down these adats by having Luke detach the cables and tripping them up. Like, that's such a smart, ingenious way, and it's kind of symbolic of how the rebels have to be smarter and quicker than the Empire because of the lack of resources. Like, that is a such a pointed move. It not only looks cool, and it's not only a clever idea of how to defeat these things, but it plays into the writing and the idea of finding hope and coming up with ideas in the face of overwhelming adversity, basically. Yeah, and that, that is kind of a personality trait of the rebels as a whole. They have to either outsmart... Or as heroes, just improvise the best they can at whatever awful circumstances they've been thrown into as the little guy, as, you know, smaller, outgunned, outmanned. They have to be able to improvise better and, you know, come up with game plans on the fly if things aren't going according to plan and just outsmart them because they're not going to win just based on men, numbers and and guns. And that's a that's a trope that goes on through um, A New Hope, Empire and Return of the Jedi as well. Movies in general, it's the classic underdog story, and Star Wars totally encapsulates that, yeah. I feel like it's very prominent here, though, because the Empire is always this this overwhelming, looming presence. Like, the Rebels are just always caught in their shadow, and they have to figure out 
always how to get around it. Yeah, one thing that I noticed on this viewing especially was uh, last episode, I critiqued a little bit that the original Star Wars felt very of its time in terms of how they stage actors and scenes and sets where a lot of things are just happening out like a play. This one felt a lot more cinematic. I think they had kind of caught up to where the industry was going. There's a lot more cuts in this one, a lot more reaction shots, a lot more dynamic camera movements even then um, that just kept everything much more fluid and a lot less staged than the first one. Uh, At least that's how I felt. Yeah, I think an expanded budget definitely helped too. I think there definitely was more money in this one for sure. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. And having a a different director, Lucas didn't direct Empire. Yeah, let's talk about Irvin Kershner, who started his career kind of in indies. And you can see kind of his dedication to character and stuff and story. That's very important. Not that the original film didn't do that, but it was a lot more about spectacle. This one is very much about getting to the core and challenging these characters and finding what their flaws and what makes them tick and beating them. You know know what I mean? Like making them lose – like that's just such a – we talked about in depth how shocking that was when it happened in like Avengers Infinity War and any of the MCU movies where we talk about when the characters lose is genuinely shocking. Well, this did that 35 years ahead of it. Absolutely. And it did that right with the biggest twist of all time. Uh, no, I am your father. Awesome. Iconic. I don't think – I yeah, Still. it's – it's one of those things that even if you've never seen a Star Wars movie, you know that's a line. Like, Luke, I am your father is just omnipresent through culture, period. Uh, and it's 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 a still a good reveal. And even knowing that going into seeing Star Wars, uh, if you if you're like just trying to catch up onto the train and you already know that that's the twist, it's still interesting because it makes the relationship between Luke and Darth Vader and how, uh, what's the word? Complicated. Uh, how, yeah, exactly. It's, it's such a complicated relationship. And because Darth Vader is so present in this movie, when he was a force to be reckoned with, but still kind of on the shadows in the last one, like he is incredibly motivated throughout the entire movie to find Han, find Luke, uh, captured these rebel bases and it seems so much more personal and that's throughout the entire movie and then you get to the point where I'm your father and everything just kind of clicks in place and we're like just trying to comprehend exactly how crazy this position would be if you were yeah. in those shoes. It completely changes the context of the entire movie and of the entire series because I think – If I was watching and I didn't know the context of the twist coming up, I would just assume that Vader is still holding a grudge specifically against Luke because he was the one to blow up the Death Star. But no. Yeah. And to go what you were talking about too earlier, Jake, the Empire is just this omnipresent force that's just everywhere and everyone's trying to get around it. But because it's everywhere, it feels so generic. And then all of a sudden, we have that connection where Luke and Darth Vader are linked. And all of a sudden, the conflict becomes personal. It's not just good guys, bad guys. It's 
this is my dad and he's evil and trying to kill us all and what the heck is going right. on? And all of a sudden there's this <laughs> there's this gray area of yes, I want to defeat the bad guys, but I'm I'm conflicted with that as well because that was also defeating my father. Mm. What do I do? And he cut off my hand, that jerk. <laughs> yeah, ow. And Hamill really sells it. Like his performance in that minute, minute and a half is probably the best thing he's done in the original trilogy. Like, yeah, I, I, I would I would say without a lot of conflict that that's probably his finest moment. And something I noticed this time around that I didn't notice in the past is when he falls, he's basically killing himself. Like he has no idea where he's going to land. It's such a hopeless despair of him falling from that. Just anywhere but where mm, he is. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Get me that's out a of good here. way to put it. Actually, I wanted to bring this up to you guys. Is is this one of like the first movie twists? Like what was uh, what was big movie twist before this? This was 1980, and it shocked the world. How many big movie twists were before this? Citizen Kane. I actually don't know. Well, what was when was uh, the original Planet of the Apes? That was a big one. The 60s. Okay, so definitely. And then so, okay. Psycho. Pretty much any Hitchcock mm-hmm. movie. Right. All right. That's true. That's true. Um, In terms of like lasting twists, this is definitely right the big one. I'd say one yeah. of the most famous ever. Right. That's a good way to put it. But even aside from that iconic uh, moment, they also build um, they build up the Jedi and the Force more. Like I I always forget how little the Force lightsaber Jedi kind of stuff is in A New Hope, and they really elaborate that and make it more prominent and show you what the Star Wars universe has to offer um, in Empire with Yoda teaching him, but also um, what should we call it? Uh, Obi Wan comes back as the ghost. You see yep. him again. Um, you find out there's another with Leia. You get a lot more power shifts too. Like Darth Vader, he deflects blasters. He's floating objects during the laser fight with Luke or the, sorry, the lightsaber fight with Luke. Uh, there's, it's just all more concrete and you see a lot more of like, this isn't just like the power of love connecting us kind of thing. Like the force is an actual force and it actually does real damage and real good things in this movie. Another point that I really like that I feel like they they explain the force really well when they're explaining Luke's decision to quit his training and go help Han and Leia and Yoda and Obi-Wan basically tell him like, that's not a good idea. Like, this is not going to end well for you. And he was like, how can I possibly turn that down? And they're like, you will you will be better off if you don't go. Don't give in to those feelings that are blinding you. This is the right more even if it doesn't seem like it, the right and rational thing is to finish your training so you can do better for the greater good. That's a real big dilemma, but also explains how the, also kind of shows you how the force works in this galaxy, this universe that we're in. And I really, I really thought that was pretty awesome. I've totally forgotten about that. That gives us a good transition point into Yoda specifically himself, because he's the big new character that we meet this time besides Lando, which we'll get into, I'm sure later. But Yoda is such an ingeniously designed character because it definitely gives you some more ideas of the parameters of the force and that it doesn't matter your shape or your size. You can be a master of this, you know, this feeling. Even if you're like, what, what is Yoda? Two foot six, two foot six, probably, probably doesn't weigh more than 40 pounds. And he can lift an entire starfighter out of a marsh just using his mind. Right. At its, at its, at its potential, Yoda was like, listen, buddy, I know what I'm talking about. Hold on a second. Hold my beer. Like, 
<laughs> I'm going to show you what's up. <laughs> oh, what a devastating burn after he pulls that thing out and he goes, I'm like, Luke is like, I, I could never picture myself doing that or whatever he says. And then Yoda says, that's why you fail. Mm-hmm. It's the right. negative attitude. Yeah. Right. Do yeah. or do not. There is no try. Yeah. 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 Now on posters and cubicles everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of the, it's one of those weird lessons because there also is, I bet you, an equal amount of inspirational quotes that say you have to try in order to fail lots of times. And it's just like one of those contradictory things where it sounds really cool. But is it the best advice for everyone's life? I don't know. But in this particular movie, uh, in this particular scene, it, it's good stuff. Um, and it definitely taps into what Luke is struggling with is a lot of his own self-worth and all that stuff as a hero. Let's talk a little bit about beyond expanding the force, just the expanding of the star Wars universe. And I love this movie's use of location, just how diverse all the places they go to are where we start in the ice planet. And then Dagobah is basically a swampy marsh and then cloud city, which is just this gorgeous futuristic techno look. It's probably the most futuristic looking non empire thing in the entire trilogy because that's what's kind of what's interesting about star wars is that you know you've got all this futuristic tech but a lot of the locations are very practical and they could be places that you see in everyday life cloud city is the exception it's, it looks like it's more blade runner-esque than it is yeah star wars-esque mm-hmm. yeah no definitely and it keeps that original like exploration aspect of the first Star Wars that we really, really liked. It's exploring new worlds. It's seeing just life take place here. Obviously, it's less, uh, what's the word, um, naive than the first one. There's, uh, It's like the first Harry Potter movie compared to the sixth Harry Potter movie. Like at that point, you're still learning new things about the the world you're exploring. You're seeing new Star Wars planets and uh, machines and ships and whatnot, but because the focus is so much on the plot, this movie you have less time to take it in. Yeah, it, it gives you the exasperation of them being on the run, while also, yeah, you're right, absolutely, you're absolutely right. Like doing its job of making you understand better how things were, like small, like small things, and it has to come with character design as well. Like Boba Fett barely talks, and he's one of the most iconic characters I know. because, <laughs> yeah. And it's like there's little small things that just flesh out the universe like Boba, like Boba Fett is a perfect example of something that got popular based on just how it looks more than anything. Yeah, he doesn't do anything mm-hmm. really. We, the only thing we know about him is that Vader goes back to him and be like, no disintegrations, specifically calling him out. And, and you know, like, oh, this is a bad dude. Like and look at his design. He's clearly a bad dude. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, it, like how often this is the only franchise where characters can get popular and barely say anything, I feel like. It's like one of the only franchises where the ancillary stuff is as important as the big characters. Lando's an interesting uh, inclusion, too. You brought him up in just a couple moments ago, Drew, uh, where that was as close to what we got from a solo backstory up to this point and up until the the movie came out. <laughs> and might I add, the only backstory we really ever needed. Exactly. But... <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> You get more in a few looks between the two of them than you do in pretty much all of Solo, which is like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm a relative Solo defender. I think it's entertaining, but get, less is more it's, sometimes. Right. I think it's OK, but it's just not really necessary. Mm-hmm. But like there there was another twist right there is the, the fact that 
you get the sense, and Leia says it out loud a couple times, that not all is right here. It's a little too happy for uh, what we're expecting at this point in the movie, and Luke is sensing all this danger too, so what's going on in Cloud City? And yeah, he betrays them to the Empire, and it's one of those like, oh crap moments uh, that can still take you for a loop because he seems like such a good dude up into that moment. He really does. Mm-hmm. And it gets into the complexity of the entire situation that the Empire puts things in. You know what I mean? This is not a cut and dry movie at any point because our characters are dealing with flaws and stuff. Lando's a good example because he is out to save his own skin, but he, really the reason he brokers the deal and betrays them is to protect the people of Cloud City. More than yep. anything. So it's it's not as complex as he just betrayed them because he's greedy. Or it's not as simple, I should say. Right. It wasn't just for money or his own safety. Right. There was more to it. And throughout the entire process, he was still trying to fight for Han, Leia, and Chewbacca there. Uh, and everything kept on going wrong and wrong and wrong. Uh, but you never got the sense that he was a totally evil character or a totally good character. He was trying his best just like any other human would and that's why he's still a really good character even though he has a relatively short amount of screen time in this movie and i think the movie does a really nice job of showing how besides even vader to an extent i I would say the only truly evil no questions asked character in the entire star wars trilogy is the emperor because that's how he's designed yeah uh we see him for the first time here briefly Um, But obviously we flesh out Vader a little bit here, especially in Return of the Jedi, which we'll get into later. But, you know, Luke is not a perfect hero or anything. He's cocky a little bit. He he's more willing to run into a fight than he really probably should. And obviously Han is cocky to a point where he's headstrong and gets himself into trouble. Uh, I mean, they, they all have their flaws and the movie does a really nice job exploring their flaws and giving them obstacles to overcome in future films. As well thought out as this movie is, you could tell there's one thing they didn't think out, which was Leia kissing Luke. You know, it's but- crazy to me that they imply <laughs> that their bro- their brother and sister or that they're – I guess they don't imply their brother and sister here. They imply that Leia has force in her. Um, basically, my, my point is why did they include that kiss? Because you really could have gotten away with not doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's actually two, I think. There's the one big one where he's trying to – she's trying to make Han le- jealous – uh, yeah, uh, but there's like another little peck, I think, somewhere in there. Um, I think it's like on the cheek, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> it's just funny. Yeah. Um, as are there aside from that, are there any other flaws you think this movie has for you two? Oh, flaws. If any, uh, I've watched it so many. I mean, not every not not every movie's perfect, but I've watched it so many times, and I can't think of a single thing I dislike. My my only thing is. Uh, slightly Yoda's introduction. I think he's a little goofy in his first, like, five minutes. Well, no, but they do that on purpose. He says so to Obi-Wan. He's too impatient. Um, It was kind of like Yoda getting a sense of how is this character going to react under stress. Uh, That's at least how I was interpreting it. He's weird on purpose, but that's obviously not his main character once we really introduces himself as Yoda. He was just kind of getting a feel for who Luke was, trying to get a sense of his character. Like Yoda could have easily been attacked by Luke, like thought he was a swamp creature or something. And Luke didn't go that far, but he obviously didn't treat him with total kindness either. And that's where 
Yoda's initial hesitation to train him comes from. I st- yeah, I still think he comes off as a little a little goofy. He's having like a tug of war thing with R two D two, and I'm like, yeah, just a little too much so for my liking. If I have any pick parts for it, mm. yeah, I like I don't have a problem with it. I think it serves a purpose. And also remember, this isn't the same Yoda from the Clone Wars era. Like he's been out on his own for thirty years now in this Marsh planet. Uh, although it is a little weird that R two I guess doesn't recognize him. Like, I know that they wiped C-3PO's brain after Revenge of the Sith, but I don't think they did that to R2. And clearly R2 can talk. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that. Like, in A New Hope, Obi-Wan goes, I don't remember owning a droid. We're like, really? This one in particular that got special honors in Phantom Menace? Yeah. (laughs) Right, yeah, you don't, yeah, there's little things like that. And that he just kind of, I let fly under the radar, like, whatever. I'm, I'm much more willing to gush about just the cool things in this movie. Like the ATATs on Hoth is just an awesome battle scene um, and really cool visually, too. I I guess I always assumed it was stop motion when I was younger, but actually watching it and I'm like, wow, that's really good detail and a nice blend between stop motion animation and the the computer graphics at the time, which were not CG. That wasn't a thing yet. A uh, lot, a lot of cool things. Uh, yeah, especially very, very impressive for 1980. <laughs> It looks better than Legend of Hercules from 2014. <laughs> yeah. I I love the the asteroid field cave too. I just think it's a that's another cool example of exploring a whole brand new world where you don't even think about the space worm until you're zooming out of it. It's just like one of those like how did they come up with that idea kind of tropes and it's just there's just so much detail to everything, like the language that they use, too. The one iconic line we have failed to mention, uh, Hans, mm. well, Harrison Ford as Han Solo's improv, I love you, I know. Awesome. Awesome. Even yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> like, I I, every now and then I try to put myself in a 1980s theater. And I'm just like, that, there's no one, no wonder people were just losing their minds after seeing this movie. Because even me, sitting in my bed in 2019, just grin like, I love you, I know. What an awesome but bastardly line to deliver in a situation like that. That's also a little bit of revisionist history, though, because I've read articles on this and stuff about the firsthand experiences of people coming out of Empire Strikes Back. And it wasn't universal acclaim when it first came. People were confused by the twist. They'd never seen anything like this before. They were a little annoyed about the cliffhanger. It only after time and when you see it in the full picture that it became the classic that it was. You know what I mean? Like the experience in 1980 was way different than the experience it is for us now, knowing the movie's reputation and everything. Right. I actually looked it up. This, as as far as the original trilogy goes, this had the least amount of nominations out of the three. Like Oscars? Yeah. I think it got like a sound nomination and that was it. The music is still incredible. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The incorporation of the new themes too, like Han and Leia's theme. Is the Imperial March in the first one? In the original? I, I believe so, but this one absolutely hammers it. Uh like at literally every single time one of their spaceships is on the screen, it comes back, even if you were just listening to it two minutes before. And <laughs> in hindsight, it was actually kind of jarring to hear it come out on too too many times, but that's a little bit of my nostalgia talking. Like I, I grew up with this one a lot more than the, uh, the prequel trilogy or anything like that. I remember seeing this one a lot more and yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's just absolutely fun. So, I mean, we can gush about this all day, but let's wrap it up here. Rating wise for empire strikes back. Jake, what would you give it? I mean, 
I know I, I differed a little bit on A New Hope just because there are some slight things here and there, but this one's a royal throne. It just, if you like movies and you don't, I, I know some people don't like movies in space, but like aside from that, there's really no reason to dislike this yeah, movie. They probably shouldn't be it's listening just, to a Star Wars review if they don't like <laughs> movies in space. Well, that. <laughs> but even like aside from how um, iconic the movies have, have been over, you know, so many decades and the influence it has. Um, how creative it is, how original it is. It's still super well-written, like very, very well-executed, just as a general movie outside of everything else it has accomplished. So you take all that back in and what it what it was for its time, how well it holds up. This has to be Royal Throne. This is it, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Royal Throne, easily my favorite Star Wars movie, and by a long shot, too, I think. Um, like, again, the, I brought it up, and I'll keep it short, but... The characters come into their own here. The story is much more fast-paced, and the stakes feel so much higher uh, now that we've been introduced to the Star Wars world. And uh, there's just there's just so much to like about this movie. It appeals to the little kid action sense of me. It appeals to the older um, thematic sense that I've acquired over the years. It just hits all the check marks. It's incredibly original. And it pulls it off with a plumb. Love this movie, Royal Throne. This is the definitive Star Wars movie for me. Yeah. Uh, Royal Throne, best Star Wars movie ever. Top five favorite movie of all time for me. Royal Throne. It's Empire Strikes Back. What else <laughs> you want? That'll do it for our review of Star Wars Episode 5, Empire Strikes Back. Be sure to be listening to all of our 30 Days of Star Wars podcast. We've talked about the prequels and A New Hope before this. We'll be talking about Return of the Jedi coming up soon and then Force Awakens. And then we'll be at Rise of Skywalker time. I wanted to see how far you're going to go with that. Oh, I could keep going. I could keep going. Yeah, me too. For Nate Lungarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Jay. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.